This is the Traversityist. I'm Gretchen Carr, creator, producer, and host. I invite you to join me on an exploration of the regional culture in and around Traverse City, Michigan. If you are new to this podcast, welcome. Be sure to check out our previous episodes. The production of the Traversityist is supported by friends. You too can become a friend. Learn more at TraverseCityist.com. This episode of The Traverse Cityist is sponsored by Burritt's Fresh Markets. Burritt's Fresh Markets started as a two-man butcher shop and has evolved into the leading specialty grocer in northern Michigan. Burritt's features hormone, steroid, and antibiotic-free beef, the largest fresh fish selection in the north, a wide selection of produce, over 100 types of cheese, a boar's head deli department, a delicious variety of house-made sides and salads, an impressive array of local and international groceries, and the largest and most comprehensive wine selection in northern Michigan, Burritt's Fresh Markets, a Traverse City landmark since 1987. Winter can be hard. It requires more. More planning, more clothing, more sleep, more nourishment, more movement, and more community. In Traverse City, there are many individuals who have harnessed their passions and resources, which have built strong communities, big and small. Those communities are helping us to power through the winter. It's about 9.30 a.m. on a weekday in late January. I'm at the parking lot of the Glen Haven Maritime Museum at Sleeping Bear Point. Within five minutes, the parking lot begins to fill up. The drivers, all women, step out one by one, all wearing long puffy coats, bulky fleeces, hats, mittens, and neoprene booties. We greet one another, but there is minimal small talk. The temperatures are just above freezing, and the entire day is ahead of us. One woman removes her sleeping baby from her vehicle, all bundled up and strapped in a cozy car seat. She places the child on a sled and heads to the beach. The rest of the women follow. Once we arrive at the shore, we begin to peel off our layers, leaving on swimsuits, neoprene booties, hats, and gloves. Ashley Martin takes the temperature of the lake. It's a, it's a new thermometer. It's going to tell us the water temperature once we get in there. Is that the air temperature right now? I think it's reading a little too high. Yeah. I think I was getting like 34 yeah. right here. Is that what you saw? 34. The women walk out into the water. The sun begins to peek through the clouds. After a few minutes, the women slowly walk back to shore. 
long-term kills. Very good. Yeah, it's a wake-up. Okay, oh, and now I feel great right now. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm not cold at all. No. Sunshine. No. It's really nice. Yeah. Today I feel like, oh, I can actually dry off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you just spray to the car. <laughs> <laughs> I can't feel more of my swimsuitness on my leg. <laughs> Bye, Grace. Bye, Grace. Bye, Laura. Bye, Laura. Bye, Laura. <laughs> Jenny Lamb is new to this ritual and enjoys it very much. Uh, I think it has, to some degree, changed my body temperature or my tolerance for cold. Cold weather, sleeping in colder rooms at night, not wearing as much clothing in the winter. Um, How often have you done it? Is this your first season? This is my first season. And I would say one to two times a week. Faith Hoekstra can't imagine not getting into Lake Michigan whenever possible, even in January. Yeah, it's just an opportunity to get in the, still get in the water. Yeah. <laughs> it's so obvious, but like... <laughs> but truly, we, well, so yeah, if you're not doing this, you're probably only utilizing this incredible resource for like three months out of the year, right? So it allows you to still be able to tap into that really incredible experience during every season. Brianne Carpenter revels in the opportunity to meet up with this group. Yeah, it feels pretty joyful and wild mm -hmm. too. Um, it has helped me, uh, I keep saying it helps me, it's helping me appreciate like the grayer shoulder seasons. Right now we have a lot of snow and so right now I'm fine because I can go ski and stuff, but this feels like any day is a good day for swimming, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is just wild to yeah. me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like on Christmas when it was warm, instead of being like, oh, it's not a white Christmas, my, my thought when I stepped outside was, it's a great day for swimming. <laughs> mm -hmm. May Steyer resonates with Brianne's sentiment. I, I mean, I really love all of what you said and then also just like the community aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much none of us, I mean, we some of us knew each other prior to September um, but for the most part like these are relationships that have like formed and really blossomed in the last couple of months um, you know over a shared interest and I, I have said this multiple times but I love that um, we like see each other so frequently but for short periods of time it just feels like our like the bond has grown a lot more quickly than other friendships I've had. Sorry about the crack, baby. Oh, no, yeah, no, it's no good need to have regular yes. yeah. things to, that you can count on. Well, and there's something to be said too. I think for I think most of the other things I do in the context of friendship are like 100% not 100% enjoyable. It's interesting to do something hard together. Um, it's a different. I don't know. It's a different experience. I'm not sure what. I don't know. But doing something hard together feels meaningful in a way that I haven't really experienced before. <laughs> For Ashley, Jenny, Faith, Brienne, and May, the cold plunge ritual is about rejuvenation. And when you can do that together, it feels good. There are currently several groups in the area making the cold water submersion a part of their winter routine including a student-led mental health group from Traverse City Central High School.
While the cold plunge has been touted as a trend, it is a long-standing tradition in many cultures around the globe. Cold plunging has evolved alongside the sauna tradition. Norm and Mimi Wheeler host a weekly sauna at their home in Empire. I've been coming to their Sunday saunas for over 25 years. The sauna is situated in a separate building behind the main house, overlooking Mimi's garden. It is constructed of reclaimed wood. It is about the size of a typical garden shed. The cedar interior has three benches at different levels, with the top bench being the hot seat. The wood-fired stove is topped with rocks. The temperature inside the sauna is about 185 degrees. Longtime friends Anne-Marie Oman and Dave Early have joined us. Mimi realizes she forgot the essential oil. She likes to add a drop to the water when she douses it over the rocks. This creates lolu, the term the Finnish used to describe the steam that rises from the rocks. It's exhilarating. Madeline Hill has driven down from Antrim County to join us. I'm getting really hot. Just about when I can't take it anymore, I make my way out and jump into the snow. <sighs> Are you making snow angels? She must be. She must be in there full-fledged. Or unfledged. <laughs> oh, I love that laugh. After the sweat, we head inside to feast. Everyone brings something. Tonight's meal consists of a soup, fondue, a goulash, a fresh salad, plenty of wine, and Madeline's handmade chocolates. I can't imagine being without access to a sauna in the winter. I'm grateful to have friends with saunas. I'm also grateful to have Hickory Hills, where my daughter learned to ski both Alpine and Nordic. Just west of the city limits lies one of Traverse City's greatest public resources, Hickory Hills, a municipally owned and operated ski hill. Envisioned by civic leaders, Hickory Hills started out as a small ski park and public ski school. 72 years later, Hickory Hills offers affordable alpine and Nordic skiing 
on beautiful terrain with gorgeous views of West Grand Traverse Bay. On a typical winter evening, after school, until about the dinner hour, this place is full of families. Louette Frost is enjoying the evening with her children and friends. My name's Louette Frost and we're at Hickory Hills. And I have been coming here since 2017 when we moved from Colorado and we lived just down the road in Slabtown. And I remember the first time I signed my kids up for the ski, the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday ski clinics. And I remember the first time I pulled up and I got out of the car and I just thought to myself, these people are serious about skiing. And I, like everybody, it was just really well organized. And um, my little one, August, wasn't doing it then, but just Finn was. Um, and it was just so great because we would, it would take us a minute or two to get up here. Off a night's day, sometimes I'd run home and do dinner and then come and pick him up. And now we live out of town, so it looks a little different. We come after school. I bring snacks, we get here early, we, we know a lot of the people that hang out in the lodge. It's a great social spot in the winter. Um, and so I love the accessibility and the chaos and um, just like having something, you know, to do in the dark winter days. <laughs> Louette's son, August, has been learning to ski the slopes. I love coming to Hickory Hills because you learn a lot of stuff. And like, you just get better when you learn a lot of stuff. How to do like parallel turns and like, and, and like not snow plowing. His friend Pearl has big plans for her future. I like coming here so I can learn different ski tricks so I can learn to be a professional. Most of the ski hills are named by or for the people who were instrumental in Hickory Hills' development and preservation. Everett and Ruby know the terrain of Hickory very well. Well, this hill is just really fun because it's, it's for all ages, and the bunny hill is great for people just learning to ski. What's the name of this hill right here? This one right here? Yeah. This, this hill is called Magna Carta. What are the names of all the hills here? Do you know the names of all the hills? What are the names of all the hills? Um, Swede, Don and Jerry, Cupcake, um, Jack's Trail, Magna Carta, um, Brit, um, wait, what was it called? Bunny Hill? Um, Bunny Hill, was it Branch? Birch. Birch, um, I think that's it. Pete. 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 Is there a, a Tammy? Fast, Fast Tammy is the bunny hill. Fast Tammy is the bunny hill. Yeah, they changed it, but I don't think they should call it Fast Tammy. I think people would um, more like to go on a hill called Bunny Hill. Fast Tammy um, is, I don't get it because, like, the magic carpet isn't fast at all. <laughs> but um, it's, but I really like the, how it's for beginners, the Fast Tammy is for beginners. We all have to start somewhere. Fast Tammy was named in recognition of donor Tammy Haggerty. She grew up skiing at Hickory, was named an all-state skier twice, and contributed to three state championships for Traverse City Central High School. While competing for Middlebury College, she was ranked among the top 100 world racers. You can read all about the origins of all the ski runs 
inside the lodge. Another item worth mentioning, Hickory Hills just became the first homologated cross-country course in Michigan's Lower Peninsula. This designation means that the course meets international ski and snowboard federation standards and can host sanctioned races. Over the weekend of January 26th and 27th, Hickory hosted the Junior Nordic Skiing National Qualifier. Nick Beitch volunteered at this year's competition. I'm Nick Beitch. I'm the technical delegate here at the Junior National Qualifier. It's the uh, first time we've held a qualifier race in Traverse City at Hickory's new facility. Uh, it's awesome to see such quality local skiers race against the best in the Midwest. And we're holding our own, and it's just awesome that we can do this. But skiers are from all, uh, all over the Midwest. Yep, that guy's from Green Bay. Yeah. We've got people from western Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin, Madison, Milwaukee. Uh, they're coming from all over. And, and I, like, I remember as a kid, like... Uh, like in the early 80s, mid 80s, like 1984 was known as the slush year. For I mean, the the cross country ski events here in Traverse City have always been kind of like, whoa, are we gonna make yeah, it or not? Yeah. And and the rain. Well, the investment they made in snowmaking is a huge difference. There's three places you can ski in the Midwest. One is the Berkey Trail, one is in uh, Appleton, Wisconsin, and the other's here because they have man-made snow for cross country skiing. And that's and just an awesome development. For Nick's brother, Milan, Hickory Hills is a special place. Oh my gosh, uh, this physical place right here wasn't even close to being here when we were here. But um, it, it is, uh, yeah, it stirs up and now I've got grandkids. And to see them get out here on a daily basis, they live right here in Traverse City in town. So they're, you know, they're doing it and it's like, I don't know, it's... I mean, we're, look, we're talking a long time ago, but this is, I mean, I mean basically, we, we grew up here, like Nick probably said. I mean, we grew up here. This is like, you know, we'd, uh, we'd come out here after school and then uh, go back in town and go to the local ice skating rink, and then that was our routine, you know. We just did that all the time, and uh, this, is where, this is where you hung out, you know. Even in the summer. Even in the summer, yeah. <laughs> summer camp, yeah. Spent all, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time here. Very familiar and... Um, but it, yeah, it, it, it really stirs um, really from deep within. Um, it you know it, it you forget how old you are and how how quickly those years pass because you just those memories are from when you were a kid and you know how been you, here for sixty years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just about pretty close, <laughs> pretty close. So yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Their sister Ivanka is happy to be here, watching her family ski. Um, my name is Ivanka Beitch, and our father was a recreation director for many years, and uh, we trained here as little kids, and uh, this is where we learned how to ski, and uh, this is an awesome place, and uh, it's really developed. <laughs> it's just beautiful. Hey, Finley, that's our family too. <laughs> Hey, you lost it! You lost your other tooth. That's awesome. I'll see you in a little bit. I'm going to come over there and see Travers. Okay, bye. Ciao. On Tuesday nights, the Vasa Ski Club is a visible presence as they conduct their Tuesday night sprints. The middle school and high school teams, known as the Vasa Raptors, make up a majority of the racers. And there are a few adult members from the Vasa Ski Club out here as well. Thad Dykstra is a Vasa Ski Club parent. 
He's out here most nights with his children, who all compete for the club. So I just do it for fun, for health, keep my body moving. And my kids are here skiing, so it's kind of fun to, to ski with them and see them uh, get faster and grow in the sport. Vasa Raptor head coach Ethan Goss keeps everyone organized. For the past 35 years, the Vasa Ski Club has promoted the joy of cross-country skiing to the residents of Northwest Michigan. Founded as the Travers Nordic Ski Club, they later changed their name to Vasa Ski Club. The name change reflects the legendary Vasa Pathway that is skied by many. The Vasa Pathway was named after the North American Vasa, the popular Nordic ski race founded in 1977 by the late Ted Okerstrom and the late Vojan Beitch. The event has a long history of change. Over the years, the ski race has started and finished in a number of different places. In the early days of the Vasa, there was no trail. The course was groomed by snowmobiles and ran through public and private lands. Eric Okerstrom, son of Ted Okerstrom, remembers grooming the course for the Vasa race. Well, it was, my dad would have these conversations, you know, like you'd have these conversations with property owners and say, hey, we want to run this cross-country ski race, you know, through your property, and he'd get permission, and then we'd, you know, and then it was, you had to coordinate all of that, and then you had to, and then he would mark it, and, you know, with like, you know, with surveyor tape or something like that, or, and, and then, um, other people, my dad himself, or myself, and I don't know, maybe Vojan was out there. I can't remember exactly, but we would draw, We would take a snowmobile. Um, it was an alp called an Alpine. It was made by Skidoo, um, and it, it, we would ride that along. And you know, as long as we kind of had that decent width, because you didn't need as wide a track, you know, for for a classic race. And then if we had to cut some things back, we would clip some things back you know, just to make sure branches weren't going to hit people in the face, that kind of thing. And eventually we kind of tied it all together and figured out this course that people could ski. That was, that was, that was that, there was a lot to it. It was simple. It was simple. And the course was, but it was, yeah, it was, it was nothing like the, the, tra the trails we have today. George Lombard was the energy behind the establishment of a permanent Vasa Trail. Despite an artificial limb, nothing has ever slowed George down. Now in his 90s, George is not only a champion for the Northern Michigan Vasa community, he has earned national titles with the United States Skiing Association National Championships. He has also competed in international Nordic ski competitions, including the 1984 Paralympic Winter Games in Innsbruck, Austria. For years, George was a fixture and top competitor on Vasa race day. The early Vasa races, the first Vasa races, um, you never knew where you were going to start or where you were going to finish. Uh, we started at the airport one year, 
and went along three mile road and sometimes we finished at uh, Ranch Rudolph. Sometimes we started at Ranch Rudolph. We had no tr definite trail. They were just groomed by snowmobile. And there were, I specifically remember one race where there was just enough room between two trees for one skier to go. Well, we had the professional teams coming at that time. And I can remember the person that was ahead of the Fisher team saying, this is our last time here. And uh, actually, the Vasa came to an end at that point. Um, but the community didn't want the Vasa to disappear. George rallied with the community and set into action. He envisioned the Vasa Trail as a year-round trail for biking, hiking, and Nordic skiing. County Administrator um, Roz Childs got a group together and we started a new Vasa committee, which became very successful. And um, Mac McClellan, assistant to Ross, got a grant for $100,000, which gave us a chance to start and build the beautiful trail that we have there at this time. DNR Trust Fund has been so good to our community. Yeah. In 1991, after years of planning and cooperation from the Michigan Department of Natural Resources, along with additional fundraising, in-kind donations, and work bees, the permanent Vasa Trail was made official. The trail became so popular that it was necessary to build a warming shelter for the winter months. When we uh, built the Vasa, we were building a trail for everyone to use, not a racetrack. We were building a trail for the public and having a race on it a couple times a year. I had been out skiing on a cold day and I went into the warming shelter and uh, there were two families from Muskegon there with their children. And they were taking turns with the husband going out and skiing, then the husband would come back and watch the children and the wives would go out and skiing. And I noticed we had accomplished just what we started out to do, to make it a trail for everyone to use. And it really gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling that we had accomplished what we wanted to start out doing. The Vasa Trail is now operated and maintained by the Travers Area Recreational Trails, or TART. George is thrilled that the Vasa is able to utilize the resources of TART. With robust community support and grants, TART was recently able to purchase a piston bully groomer. Named Piper, the new groomer was celebrated last December by a large crowd at the Vasa Pathway Trailhead. George had an opportunity to sit behind the controls. And the ultimate groomer was a piston boy. And we just recently had fundraising and purchased a new piston, piston bully, which uh, blew me apart when I sat in that seat and saw all the 
technology. Uh, there was a uh, screen in there that showed you everything. Pressure of the tracks, how much pressure you were putting down, whether you had the tracks for the um, diagonal skiers or the skating skiers. It, it's a tremendous asset for the Vasa Trail at this time. For this year, Mother Nature did not provide the snow we needed, and so the 48th annual North American Vasa had to be canceled. We are due for a good, robust winter, and so the tradition of the North American Vasa plans to resume next winter and beyond. Finally, a new addition has arrived on the scene for the Traverse City Winter Recreation Community, and it has already gained attention on the global curling circuit. The origins of the Traverse City Curling Club began just a decade ago with humble beginnings at Center Ice, founded by Don Pichet, his sister, Cara Colburn, and master competitive curler, Jill Reiki. The club began with about 150 members and has grown to offer several adult and junior leagues, along with classes for beginners of all ages. The club has hosted two Olympic gold medalists and has supported their members in international competitions, including Jill Reiki, who recently competed in the 2024 World Masters competition in Milan, Italy. Anyone is welcome to join the Traverse City Curling Club as a curler, a volunteer, a spectator, and a supporter. All of this is happening at their new state-of-the-art facility located in the old Kmart at the Cherryland Mall Complex. On Sunday afternoons, the club hosts the Junior and Rockstar Leagues. Dusty Murphy is head coach of the Junior Curling Club. Back in January, my husband and I were both asked to be the directors of the junior program, and no one knew what that was going to look like. We had, we had never had kids throw rocks here at the Traverse City Curling Club, um, and so that was, we said, okay, let's do it. Let's see what happens. And so um, our club has been very generous to the junior program. We, um, we've had kids as young as five come out here and curl, but we're, we're finding that, you know, once they're eight, they can really get the hang of it. Michael Murphy, Dusty's husband, enjoys the benefits of coaching in the new curling center. I think what we've seen in the kids is, is just a confidence and the ability, that, that passion to get together and gather. I think these kids didn't know each other when they showed up for their sessions and they quickly are very comfortable in this environment. And they're not, there are no expectations put on them and they kind of motivate each other and it's really cool to see. The Murphy's youngest son, Patrick, already sounds like a master. Patrick, what happened on your sheet today? We had seven to eight to three points, mainly just draws, not many takeouts, but lots of guards. Patrick's older brother, Lucas, has already recognized the lifelong skills instilled by the game. Um, it's taught some pretty valuable leadership skills and how to work with other people that can't sometimes get the rock around where you want it to be, and it gives you a different perspective about the game and how to basically teach other people. In addition to Dusty and Michael's mentorship, 
the juniors have had the opportunity to learn from Olympians. Lucas and I had the opportunity to curl with two gold medalists this year. You know, it's your dream when you was your little kid, you watch the Olympics and you're like, oh, that would be really cool to meet an Olympian or play that sport with the Olympian, but you never really think it's going to happen. And here we've had the opportunity to meet and curl and compete with gold medalists just right here in Traverse City. It's yeah. been completely incredible. Also got to wear their medals as well and take pictures with them. It's really fun to meet them and have them even teach you. It taught mm -hmm. us some valuable things as well. Yeah. All curlers are very welcoming, and we're love, just cool yeah. people. We love to educate each other and coach each other, and yeah, it's, it's a really cool community to be part of. Club Vice President Kevin Byrne has enjoyed observing the intergenerational bonds that are being formed through curling. Curling is a game that can be played by five or six-year-olds and over 80-year-olds. There aren't a lot of games around that you can play in that span of your lifetime. We have wheelchair curlers. We have participants who deliver from an upright position with a stick instead of getting down on the hacks. And it's really a community game where sometimes on league nights, we'll have adult leagues several nights a week, and when they need a substitute, they'll call a high school kid to come in and play and they hold their own with the adults. There's not a lot of sports you can do that in. When you walk into the Traverse City Curling Club, you can't help but to not be impressed. How was this world-class facility made possible in just under a decade? Kevin shares the backstory. We eventually got to the point where we were curling Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night, late at night. We would go down the ice around 8.30 and leave around 11 because we had to bring all of our stones from behind the ice onto the ice, set the hacks up, pebble the ice, prepare the ice, and then take everything back and put it away before we could leave. It was very cumbersome. We needed to do something to be able to increase our membership in a way that would be meaningful. So we decided we needed our own building to curl in. A new building would have cost between 6 and $8 million, and then COVID happened, which brought the estimate up to around $13 million. So the plan changed. So we had made a commitment to our group. We were going to have a drop-dead date of where we, when we were going to be curling um, in our own facility, and there were three buildings that you could put it into that were for sale at the time the Kmart, the Yonkers, and the Sears, all in Cherry Land Mall. So we made a move on this building. We were able to purchase it with the help of the Great Lakes Sports Commission and put our facility in here, and here we are. The club's board of directors agreed to contribute money and to make long-term contributions to the facility. The members also contributed with their own dollars, and everyone volunteers their time. Lowell Grumman has also been with the club since the beginning and serves as the club treasurer. One of the things worth noting, Gretchen, is that virtually everyone involved in this is a volunteer. Um, we have one executive director now that we're up and running that runs the programming and organizes everything, which is 
a requirement, but virtually everyone else, the ICE professionals who look after our ICE, the teachers, the instructional staff, the league organizers, people who look after the building, it's all volunteer. And that alone is, uh, is a great effort and a great uh, uniting factor uh, from folks who are involved. Because it's not just showing up and curling and leaving. Um, there's, a, there's a very uh, critical uh, social commitment that we all make to one another. Kevin credits the members' commitment from the early days of the club, led by the cohesive leadership of the club's founders, Dave, Cara, and Jill. So everything was built off the original structure that we had at Sunrise. We had great community support. At one point, we needed letters of recommendation from uh, as many people as we could get. Our township complied, our county complied, our state representative, our state senator, our United States representative, United States senator, all sent letters of recommendation. And we had tremendous support across both sides of the aisle. And it was truly an effort that was very, very well received. So we had a lot of ground level support here before we really even started. The other thing that we might mention, and we, we often talk about this, is we wanted to give um, everyone who was able in the community to financially participate a means that would be comfortable for them uh, in which to, uh, to provide support. And that ranges from uh, a loan, a bank guarantee or a guarantee of those loans, uh, an outright gift, or an investment. We happen to be in the federally designated Opportunity Zone, which provides significant tax relief for investments uh, in the Opportunity Zone. Uh, and we have a project that fits that. Uh, so we have investors who have invested uh, long-term investment in uh, the uh, Friends of the Traverse City Curling Club, which is a uh, qualified Opportunity Zone fund. So, with all of that support, no expense was spared. Kevin and Lowell beam with pride when they present the facility to newcomers. Now, this facility is cutting-edge technology, both in the ice maintenance, in the uh, humidity control, the way that the building is laid out for viewing area, which is completely separate from um, a, a social area. Curling is a game that's unusual in that you watch it from end to end, as opposed to in the center like tennis, because when you sit at the end of a sheet, you can see the stone actually curl. And when you're on the side, you don't have that perspective. That's why the viewing area was built in the way it was. It's not in the cold room because when you bring fans into the cold room, it's uncomfortable for fans to sit and watch a game and they have a tendency to exhale <laughs> and that ruins your humidity control. So that's why the viewing area is not in the warm room, is not in the cold room. It's in the warm room on purpose so that we can more easily control the humidity in the competitive area. And there's a lot of creature comforts here. It's bright, it's well lit, it's, Kara did a great job laying it out inside the building. It's very welcoming and very pleasant to be in here. Also, uh, 
should note that that the dimensions of the curling itself are at uh, Olympic standard. This is precisely the uh, the ice that was installed in the Beijing Olympics in 2022. It's the same, not only the same company. It's the same four individuals from Germany came over to install this ice. This is the top ice that's now manufactured in the world for curling, and. Uh, when we say we have world-class ice, we mean it. Um, we're looking at it. It's 150 feet from uh, from one house to the other, and then of course there's about 15 feet beyond each <coughs> house, um, as you can see. And there are five sheets, five competitive uh, lanes, if you will, um, that uh, um, that two teams of four can play on each lane. So that's a total of 40 people on the ice at one time. When we have competition, uh, generally there will only be, only be one game being played at one time, and that'll be in the middle, and people will be here in the viewing area as well as along the side uh, to watch. The Traverse City Curling Club will host the Mixed Doubles National Championship beginning this February 27th through March 3rd. Elite curlers from all over the nation will compete in Traverse City. Spectator tickets are on sale now. You can purchase tickets at tccurling.org. Will the Traverse City Curling Center become the place where some of America's best curlers are trained? Only time will tell. What is this uh, a testament to? I mean, if you could, we do. Could you do, have done this anywhere else? Um, Ooh. Could, we've mean, been asked. Yeah, we've been asked that <laughs> to, question. To work with other clubs to replicate this effort in other towns and communities uh, across the United States and across Canada. I'm not sure that there is another community with the right mix of exactly everything that came together to make this work. Many people leave Traverse City during the winter months, but for the people that stay, there are plenty of communities, big and small, to warm your spirit and power through the winter. I'm Gretchen Carr. Thanks for listening to The Traverse Cityist. This episode of The Traverse Cityist was sponsored by Burritt's Fresh Markets. Burritt's Fresh Markets started as a two-man butcher shop and has evolved into the leading specialty grocer in northern Michigan. Burritt's features hormone steroid and antibiotic-free beef, the largest fresh fish selection in the north, a wide selection of produce, over a hundred types of cheese, a boar's head deli department, a delicious variety of house-made sides and salads, an impressive array of local and international groceries, and the largest and most comprehensive wine selection in northern Michigan. Burritt's Fresh Markets, a Traverse City landmark since 1987.